Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 23, How to Be Both Culture-Driven and Results-Driven. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Steve Hanley, who is Portfolio Manager for Camelot Portfolios, which among other things has a mutual fund. And what else do you do there, Steve? Yeah, I manage really the relationships of the advisors that send uh, their client money to us, as well as really the relationships and the management that go on within the firm in addition to managing the money. And Steve has been a close friend of mine for almost 20 years now. And in addition to always uh, swapping business ideas and leadership principles. We are longtime competitors and colleagues in endurance events, especially half marathons and triathlons. Is competitor fair to use if I've never beaten you? That's right. I, I'm not okay. sure. You, you're, we're, aren't you really more of a fan of mine? Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and yet uh, 2013 might be the first year that you do beat me. Who knows? Well, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I did get you in a race, but that was unfair last year, I don't think. So. You, you've, had me, <laughs> you've had me scared a few times that I, f- I felt like you were finally going to pass me by because you are younger than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get that swim down, then then we'll be all right. (laughs) One of the things that makes endurance events so fun is is the progress that we make over time. And it's not just, well, at first it felt like, well, we're getting into shape, and so of course we're going to get better. But we've seen the cumulative effects of endurance training and how we've actually year over year been getting better. I think this will be our fifth year, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I actually started a year ahead of you. So, and, and we've seen that seems like it's been an advantage just to be a year ahead of you in building the, the endurance levels. Yeah, my times have mimicked yours one year, one year behind. So it's, it's I've pretty, looked at that. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. And then when you, when you say, how does that, that, the pro, that probably parallels to business and leadership. You think about a company that if you, you're going to have ups and downs as we do in our, in our training and, and, how, and, and, things that come up, injuries and so forth that maybe set you back. But even with those ups and downs, you, you see on the, on the athletic side, we see this year-over-year improvement, and each year seems to be building on the, on the progress of before. And, and a, a good company is going to do that too. They should just keep getting better. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think people sometimes think that leadership is not a, uh, it's not a skill. It's something you're born with, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Every year, a good leader knows how to learn every year what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are, um, and learn from those mistakes that he's made. And so he adjusts and he learns every year to get better as a leader. Um, there are certainly some people that have natural talents that lend themselves to parts of leadership, but I don't think any great leader was just born that way. They, they learned to a certain degree how to hone their talents to become great leaders. So. And you'll have ups and downs in that as well. I, I think back to some, time, some times where I was, it, could see that I had not handled a situation well. Maybe a, an, you know, I've had, for example, an employee that looking back, I could have handled that a lot better, either, either managed them better, uh, 
cultivated them better or maybe uh, terminated them sooner so they weren't the, the the drag on the on the team that they were. And I've it's easy to beat yourself up, and I and I have beaten myself up and thought, geez, maybe I'm not really as good of a leader as I thought. But at, when you can be sort of self-aware and realize, okay, how would I have handled that differently and then learn from it, it gives you a, a, a base to build from and so you can get better as you go forward. Yeah, I think that's right. As leaders, you do tend to be very hard on yourself usually and very overly analytical of, of what's happened and things that sometimes are out of your control. And so it's, it's important to have that framework, or at least I have found and, and learned in my past, is you, know, you do view every challenge as an opportunity every problem as, as a puzzle and you try to come at it from an analytical sense and not so much of a beating yourself up when things don't happen. Um, cause I have found at least in, in my world, things repeat a lot year in and year out. And if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same results. And, and so you do have to eventually learn from that to really grow the company and grow the leadership and the culture. Now in your world, you've been doing the, the same thing year in and year out for several years now, but your team has grown quickly lately and so you've actually found yourself having to enhance some of the systems maybe how you manage people and do it a little more systematically and so you've been lately really taking some things that used to just be leadership theories and putting them to the test so one thing that you've been really putting to the test lately is this attitude versus efficiency matrix yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I think the important thing that, that most companies perhaps uh, maybe are underestimating or, or not paying as much attention to in today's world is the attitude. Um, we, they all talk. Everyone in today's world has vision. You know, they have their vision that they put together. They have their mission statements. Some are good, some are bad. Um, but even when those are honed in perfectly, how much attention are they paying to their employees in terms of the personal attitudes of each employee, because we do believe that, you know, what is it that drives the culture? You have to boil it down, and it's really the combination, in my mind, of the attitude of all the employees at that firm. And so really what I've done, Jess, what we've talked about here is try to focus in on two main aspects of each employee, that is efficiency and attitude, and really almost create a matrix of all our employees so I can identify, you know, who is it, you know, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses in these two areas, and really how do we manage and make sure that all of our employees are trying to maximize their attitude and maximize their efficiency. Now, it's really tempting as a leader in business to focus everything on business results. I know, especially in my early years of leadership at a, at a consulting firm, I was very focused on my team, how many hours a day they were billing that we could actually get charged to clients and, and, and make money on, and um, how much, how many new clients we were bringing in, how much revenue was I bringing into the firm and the, and the other uh, business developers on our team, and and as a whole, how how are we doing as a firm? And so all these sort of business outcomes, in, in, you know, in your firm, how how what what are you what are the business outcomes that you are measuring? Yeah, well, typically in our firm, it would be assets under management. So so how many assets someone if someone is like a relationship manager and they're dealing with advisors and we want to see them bringing in money to the firm, what makes the firm profitable would be more assets clearly or more relationships. 
Um, and so really for my, I, I like what you said earlier, you know, we're a growing firm. There are things I've heard in theory about leading and leading people. And that, that, that's a big part of leadership. I think as I'm learning is it's the experiences you go through because you can hear all the theory. Um, you can listen to Jim Collins and so forth and hear all the wonderful stuff, but until you actually sink your teeth into it, it is hard to really become the leader um, that you need to be. And so we have grown through that in terms of, I would say, like you, I was focused uh, tremendously on the efficiency. I had a much shorter, um, um, I'd say, line of, of grace um, towards people who were not efficient quickly, who didn't have game plans, and I wasn't seeing fruits of their efforts quickly earlier on in my career. Um, through the mentoring of Darren, who, who certainly is my partner at work, and his his patience that he's showing me with employees and how we invest so much employees into employees that it's important for us to be patient over time and to allow those fruits really to bear over time. And there are things you can look at along the way, certainly. But but I have learned that, that you need to be very patient, um, you know, as you are uh, wanting to see the efficiencies, the productivity, the assets under management in our case come in because we have many stories at our firm. Um, and I'll share with just one, one example here. Um, we have a gal who works for us and and she came from the banking industry and the banking industry, and this is kind of common in our, our, um, in our company. We've had a few, a number of them, five now that have come from the banking industry. And the, they're always shocked when they come to our company because it's such a huge difference of focus, a huge culture shift. And the banking industry is very focused on how much are you going to do this month, next month, meeting quotas, meeting numbers, and making sure they have their weekly meetings and their weekly meetings are focused on how much did you do in calls or numbers or meetings and what's that going to result for in profit. And they're constantly focused on that. And when these employees come over, they're shocked to see that we don't talk at all about that in our firm. We're not hmm. talking about profit on a regular basis. We're not talking about, you know, how many accounts did you do this week? We're trying to really address, you know, what is in your control? You know, what is it you're doing? What are the groups you're focusing on? What is your game plan? But we're not, we're not expecting, when um, we think it would be unreasonable to expect results in, in almost an instantaneous fashion, or to expect it to be in some kind of linear fashion, where it's month A, it's this month, month, month B, it should be more than that, and then so forth and so forth and so forth. And so if you meet a quota this month, we add to it, you got to do it next month. You know, we don't have that expectation. We really just want people to focus on what they can control when it comes to that productivity level. And so, so, so that has been a huge difference for people who have come over. Um, in fact, in the one lady that, 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 uh, that I had the story about, she kept coming to us saying, I don't deserve to work here. I don't deserve to work here. Um, she actually sat down with, with upper management one time and said, I want you to lower my salary because I don't, wow. I don't feel that I'm earning it at this time. And on a numbers basis, maybe she had a case. She wasn't earning it at that time. We hadn't had the assets come in at that time. But we saw what she was doing, and she was building relationships. And we, she had an attitude and a, um, just a culture about her that was infectious to the firm. It was professional. And these relationships she was building, because she had such a great attitude and she was so infectious, we knew, I mean, we knew without a shadow of a doubt that eventually this was going to be a home run. And it wasn't in year one. It was actually probably halfway through year two that we started to see fruits of her labor. So we had to wait, you know, call it 18 months before where we saw any reasonable 
production. But but unlike a bank, which probably would have said, forget it, this isn't working, we were able to identify the positive things that were happening in what she was doing. And then this year, in the past year and a half here, she's been by far our number one producer on a profit margin. Wow. And has has just brought in trem- tremendous amounts of uh, assets for the company. And none of that would have happened if we would have focused um, really on those areas that shouldn't be first and foremost. So I kind of almost see it as a dichotomy between productivity on the one hand, which is the temptation for business leaders to focus on too much or, or mostly on, versus people focus, focusing on your people. And both are important. I, I can think of a, of a time uh, when I was at a, 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 a prior firm with, with several partners, and we brought on a very senior level person who was paid a lot of money, uh, a very high annual salary, because he had super high potential. He brought a lot of relationships and expertise with him. And as time went on, month after month went by, and zero came out of that. Uh, and and you, you could see the potential, but it just wasn't that he was coming from a, a slightly different industry, and it just wasn't transferring the way his credibility wasn't transferring to our industry. And I would have been in favor of pulling the plug after, let's say, 12 months, maybe 18 months, where you get absolutely zero. There's really no reasonable sign that something was going to happen. And my, my partners basically dragged, they, they, they thought the same thing, but they, were too, they just didn't have the courage to pull the trigger. And so I think it was at least three years, if not four years went by. The whole time was zero results before letting him go. And I, at some point, I think you've, you've just gone too far on that. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely don't want to say that one is drastically alone in the way we need to manage. Certainly attitude, culture, and the way you know it's important to concentrate on that with employees. Um, but but you have to have efficiency at some point, clearly. And, and that's hard for a leader, too, for, for me and you, Jesse. Um, you know, where is that line and what are the things we're looking for? And it's individual to every industry and really every person to a certain extent. You have to be able to understand, you know, what is it they're doing very well? You know, what is it they're controlling? What is it we can alter to make them, you know, really max efficiency and productive? And, and how do we do that as a firm? So that's a, a very micro um, analysis that you have to make, I think, individual by individual as to what, what that line looks like, certainly, and what, what you know, attitude versus efficiency and how you manage that um, is, is an individual aspect. However, um, I use this as more of the bigger point, I think, that you have to be careful not to come at it from one angle, which is efficiency only. Right. Um, certainly, efficiency has to be there at some point. But but I would I would contend that if you get the attitude right in most of your employees, generally, you know, your efficiency overall is going to be larger, even though you still might have some employees where where it's not ideal. So, and this matrix between those two is not unique to to us. This is a, a concept that's been around a while. I, I can remember being in a, uh, a leadership team and we were working on a business transformation at a large company. And there was a consultant there who had had training from Toyota and was teaching us the, the Toyota system. And someone on our team 
got up to the board and just summarized, okay, so we're going in this direction and we got the two sides that we're focusing on. We're focusing on continuous improvement, which um, you, you can define that, but let's just relate that to what you're calling efficiency or I'm calling productivity. It's the like the product side, the, the business results side. And we have the human development. We want to develop our people. And he was started to go on, but the, the, but he was interrupted by the consultant who had had the Toyota training and said, let me just um, change one thing. And he went up to the board and he reversed the order. All he, he just listed, he said, Toyota would feel very strongly that uh, what they call respect for people or what you're calling human development comes first. And uh, it's it's slightly more important than the second thing, which is the continuous improvement or what you you know the the efficiency, Absolutely. and so both are important. But you, if you're going to prioritize one or the, over the other, make sure you're putting people first. Yeah, you, that's exactly right. And so the something that comes to mind right away as, as we're talking about this is we're in an industry and maybe in a world now that's a new economy. And I know you've talked about this in, in other podcasts. But the one thing you can never commoditize, the one thing, no matter if the, what the barrier of entry is, you know, our competitors, the thing they can never beat us on is relationships. It's going to be the stickiest thing. It's going to be the thing that lasts the longest. It's going to be the thing that I can build on using referrals and so forth. And so no matter if someone does better than me in the investment industry, you know, it's going to take a lot for them to break a good relationship that we might have with our relationship specialist and with our advisors. So our employees are looking to us as owners, as managers, and everything going on in the firm to see how they're going to react and how whatever they see us doing, aren't they going to naturally be doing that in their daily business routine? And so if I want them to be out there building relationships, and I value service, number one, and I value relationships, well, shouldn't our firm be based off of the same values that we want them to be basing their their business on? And so I want our firm to put service, service of others first, service of, and, and the attitude, certainly, that's at the firm and the culture we're creating needs to be one of people first. And it needs to be that attitude of embracing almost a family attitude first. And so the development of people, the development of character, the development of attitude, and, and just having that be, you know, first and foremost is, is going to eventually come through in relationship building outside the company and therefore in productivity and efficiency. And so for that reason, it's, it's of utmost importance and should be number one, um, even though efficiency is definitely a byproduct of that and very important to see down the road. So how are you, uh, well, give me an example of how you are promoting the, the people side or the attitude side of the equation. Yeah, so so really the the attitude what we want to see, I mean we I've got a couple key things that I've focused on for this year. You know, what I want to do to improve and every year I've learned anyway and I'm going to learn a lot more, but in a growing firm the, there's a lot more I want to be careful the way I phrase this. Maybe it's not more danger um in the culture. Um, but certainly you have more things and more communication and the bigger you get, there has to be more velocity of your communicating your vision. And so, so I need to find ways to increase the velocity of vision that's going on in our firm so that everybody can really adhere to that and know at all points, you know, what we're trying to accomplish as a firm. And so to that extent, really what I've done is I want to make sure that every employee 
it feels appreciated at our firm. And it's easy for someone who's the owner, because we get a lot of appreciation on a daily basis, to forget to, that the simplest thing you can do is give a compliment or praise publicly what's right. going on with, with an employee. And oftentimes, the person, when I think to my firm, the person with the toughest job at my firm is certainly not me, is certainly not a lot of the people at the top who are either managing money or the people who are working with relationships. It's the person who's pushing all the paperwork, right? It's the person who has to do a thousand things in a day, and they're supposed to do all these things without making any errors. And then when they make an error, everyone calls them on it, right? <laughs> right, right. Whereas if I pushed a thousand papers in a day, I'd make a hundred times more errors than, than, than our personnel would. And so they're gifted in that way. But in that gift also comes kind of the downside of they're also not, they don't get the appreciation that they deserve a lot of times, but they are the backbone of service. You know, they're the ones we, we need to be at the highest level. They're the ones that are going to really make sure that our company excels. And so I want to make sure that, you know, not only the people who are relationship managers, portfolio managers, marketing specialists, but I want to make sure that the people who are compliance officers, the people that are actually processing paperwork, though I would say most people refer to them, you know, I would say as, you know, your, your normal employees, not your upper management, or um, they are the ones who need appreciation on a daily basis. So my goal is to make sure every single employee, because we're still a small enough firm with 13 employees, that every employee that I'm complimenting them genuinely um, on things that they're doing so well throughout the week um, so that they hear it from me. Because I'm thinking it, I just oftentimes don't think about complimenting them on it. And so I want to make sure that's you know first and foremost. And then also written-wise, I really am focused this year on making sure communication from, from our upper management to all of our employees is being done um, written as well as, as verbally so that everyone can see what's going on. And so they can all see the accolades that certain people are deserving of and what's going on you know, when they're, when they're hitting home runs throughout the year and when they're doing things that really are so special to the culture of our firm that I want, I want to brag about them in that, in that way. I want everyone at our firm to know what a great you know asset they are and how they're really hitting it out of the park and creating the culture that we want and so so through this affirmation and through the compliments that I that I hope to uh, you know to be diligent in giving throughout the year I hope that that will communicate um, really a lot of what we think about our employees and the vision that we have and then also communicate I think it's Jim Collins who says it's either him or Patrick Lencioni I'm not sure which one but how important it is to communicate vision not once not twice but three four five times because you hear it once and you forget it and that's what happens is you you cover it twice during a year maybe your your annual review and a semi-annual but I want every week to be hitting on this vision and I want everything to be built around that we're here to serve the kingdom of God. We're here to serve, you know, what we can do in our community to benefit the kingdom of God. We're not here just to to raise money, to to have more assets to manage. And and that's great. You know, it's great we've been blessed to be stewards of these assets, but that's not our vision. And so the employees need to know that we're not doing this out of the thought that we need to be the the biggest or the best company. We're doing this that we want to be the most impactful company and in, in, in the most impactful for the kingdom of God in our area. And so I want everything to kind of flow from that, uh, writing compliments, everything, and, and get them focusing on that as being the result, not just how many assets did we raise this this quarter or this month. And you are a you are by purpose a, a Christian based company, and so not all not all of our listeners, of course, are. But I think the 
the the the broad a broad thing that even non-christians would would take from that is the importance of having a business purpose a purpose to your business that is more than just selling investments for example i mean that you got to have some bigger purpose and that that's going to go even you know that, that 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 doesn't just apply to faith-based businesses that every business needs to have something that your employees can feel that they can be part of a bigger uh, mission in life, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Is it Southwest Airlines that their their purpose or their vision is to give every common man the ability right. to travel? Um, you know, things like that. It's like our purpose is not just to be an airplane company. We're not here to just make money. We're here to actually give a common pers- person who just wants to go see his kids in Colorado and he lives in Maine the ability to do that because that's important to them. And so getting past that, transcending past what you know your day-to-day operations are and look like is so important. It's important for management. It's important for owners. It's important just for every human being because we, we, we have a much deeper need in this world um, to have a purpose, and if we're going to spend our whole life, day in and day out, doing this this thing, we need to know that what we're doing means something. Otherwise, you know, your your attitude's going to be terrible going to work every day, and it really shouldn't be. It's a wonderful blessing and an opportunity that to work for any firm that has that kind of purpose and impact in the world, and that's something we should all be proud of if we do. So, one of the key ways that you're focusing on right now to promote the attitude side or the people side of your business is you are looking for opportunities to provide praise, to provide positive feedback. And sometimes that's, you actually have to look for it. I mean, you, you because the, the example of the person who's pushing papers, it's a lot easier to spot the one time of a, out of a thousand that they make an error. And you might have to be a little bit more uh, observant or creative to, to see something that's going right that you can uh, pay a compliment on. But you are telling the stories of what they're doing right. And sometimes it's verbally and sometimes it's in writing. And then you're also relating that to the long-term big business, the the big result that, that matters. And so it's both, it's very personal, but you are tying it into how this is making, uh, how they're contributing to the, to our, our business purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I take a, being a math major, I take a very quantitative approach. Um, and I do believe efficiency is very key to, to our company. And so when we, we get back to the idea of the matrix, really what I, what I like to do is boil, boil it down. I say when I hire someone, I want, I want them to have great attitude and great energy. Um, and I believe that the energy eventually will trans transfer into efficiency at the firm productivity, whatever you want to call it. And so I really rank them in just those two areas. When I look at it, I either say, Hey, you have a positive attitude and you have, you have positive efficiency or you have, you have negative one, positive, the other, or both are negative. And that's where I start and, and where I kind of have looked at everything at this point. And, you know, we only have a couple employees I can think of that, you know, maybe they're struggling in a couple of those areas. Um, and for various reasons, sometimes it's, it's not them at all. You know, it, it, I look at it as an area of feedback of this person really has, you know, had, had a bad attitude over the last however many months. Why is that? You know, I mean, sometimes there's legitimate reasons that I have to address and say, that's because we've overworked them. They're burnout. They're, they're, there are things I need to look at and change. But by doing this, I can start to say, okay, is, is it a habit? 
or is it something, you know, let's start there and let's change. Let's find out who who's our all-star employees that we need to just make sure that, you know, we have to do everything we can to keep the guys who have great attitudes, max attitudes, and max efficiency. You do not want to lose them. If you lose them, you are losing the, the heartbeat of your firm. And then there's the other ones maybe that need some work. Well, what is it we can work? Because I want them to become the, the, the perfect employee that has great attitude and, and, and also great efficiency. And so how do we open up those conversations? And so, so I quantify it. I put a matrix out. I put positive. I put negative next to every employee on each of those areas. And then the ones where I have a negative anywhere, I then dive in. I really start to analyze what is it I need to do, um, as well as looking then for ways in every week in the, the emails that I'm sending, in my daily conversations with people, how can I affirm that what they're doing is great. People have insecurities when you're not, when you're an employee. Um, Owners take this for granted. When you're an owner, you're secure because you're an owner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whereas an employee is always thinking, and we forget about it as owners, we think, why are they insecure? Well, well, what is this deal? We pay them, they just just come to work, have a good attitude. What's your problem? I'm not going to fire you. You know, but we don't look at it through their eyes. And so we need to make sure that they are affirmed throughout this process. And so, and be sensitive to a lot of their insecurities, because that's usually where a lot of the poor attitude I find comes from. And so, so bringing it back to that, I really do, I, I quantify it, I analyze it, I find out who the negative is. And then I try to make sure we have intentional weekly uh, conversations uh, to affirm what we need to affirm and, and to really dissect what we need to dissect to make them a better employee. And some of those are one-on-one direct conversations, and some of them are more public where you're sharing the stories with everyone. And And I think that helps communicate that, look, we're not, just because a certain employee is an all-star when it comes to bringing in the the financial results doesn't mean that they're going to be the one that we uh, view highest. That we, we want people that both model the results, but also model our culture. They've got the, the people and attitude side of it as well. And telling those stories kind of broadly to everyone um, helps people see that. You, you just had a, an example of, of having a written communication to the whole team that actually prompted someone to, to reflect on how they'd been acting recently. Yeah, it's it's it was kind of funny because I was just starting to implement these things, not really thinking there'd be any result immediately, and um, I got an email back from from one of our employees saying, you know, apologizing to me how she had been in such a poor attitude over the last couple months. Um, I did not think she had really a poor attitude over the last couple of months. I knew she had come in grumpy and, you know, I had a few bad days, which we all do, and that's fine. Um, but I knew also she had been, uh, year end is a busy time for us. And this year we had had 40% growth and tax changes. And I knew she had been overworked. I knew that. And we were addressing that and how we could, could certainly address that going forward. Um, but she opened up to me through, I was positively affirming her for the good work she had done in this email. And she opens up to me, apologizing to me about what a poor attitude she had. So I, it's so funny that that I'm praising her and then it brought out this, you know, I'm sorry 
I'm sorry for the way I've acted. I'm sorry for my attitude towards me, which was great from a sense that, you know, I was able to open a dialogue with her then about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I never would have known that had I not praised her first. And so this dialogue came and, and I was able to sit down with her and have just a great discussion about, you know, what are some of the frustrations you've had? Hey, we're working on this. And, you know, she appreciated that. And, you know, sometimes that's all it is. You know, I was really, I was really casting vision on a one-on-one level with her, really. This is our vision. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to solve this. Um, and giving her hope and walking her through that and, and doing this on a one-on-one level. And I've done it with other employees as well, is casting that vision one-on-one with her all of a sudden changes her attitude. And, and some people need it more and more and more than other people. Um, but for her, it was that, that praising that opened up, to me, the ability to have that discussion that then was able to bridge the gap and hopefully, hopefully be able to get, get you know, not allow. I didn't think it was a bad attitude to begin with, but there must have been things going on inside her that were deeper and that even from our communication that were things in the company that she was noticing, you know, things that were of concern to her, you know, I would have never been able to get that kind of feedback until later down the road. And who knows what would have happened in that time period. You know, it, there would have been more things that became infectious, more things that were negative. And so it's very, very important to, to have that positive cycle going so that, so that you can, you can head those off before they become infectious and negative negativity spreads around the firm. So as leaders, we need to be focused as well as communicate the importance of both the attitude as well as the efficiency, or as I might like to say, the people as well as the productivity. Well, our guest has been Stephen Hanley, who is the portfolio manager for Camelot Portfolios, which is a mutual fund company as well as a money manager. And folks can find out more at CamelotPortfolios.com. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jesse. It's been a lot of fun. Well, leaders, that wraps up today's show. But you can let us know your thoughts and questions in the comments section for this episode, which you'll find at EngagingLeader.com forward slash 23. Or you can share thoughts on the Engaging Leader Facebook page or on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. And let me remind you that my new ebook is now available, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders, Become a Better Leader in Every Area of Life. You can get it for free at engagingleader.com forward slash book. Also, I would like to say thank you to Paul Plaschik from Work Systems Affiliates International, as well as Jeff Bohannon for the five-star reviews you recently wrote on iTunes. That is so helpful in helping new listeners discover our show. Thank you for taking the time to recommend us. And for any of our other listeners, you too can leave a review at engagingleader.com forward slash iTunes. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, James Marler, a sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.